Every once in a while, the film industry makes a film that touches on the Bible, and I have to admit, and I have to share with you what goes on in my mind when I prepare my messages, that I can't shake this scene from my memory when I began to study the Beatitudes. So today, I want to share this with you. Watch the screens. How blessed are those whose hearts are pure? Let them see God. Speak up! Quiet, Mum. Well, I can't hear a thing. Let's go to stoning. You can go to stoning any time. Oh, come on, Brian. Will you be quiet? Don't pick your nose. I wasn't picking my nose, I was scratching. You was picking it while you was talking to that lady. I wasn't. Leave it alone, give it a rest. Do you mind? I can't hear a word he's saying. Don't you do you mind me? I was talking to my husband. Well, go and talk to him somewhere else. I can't hear a bloody thing. Don't you swear on my wife. I was only asking her to shut up so he can hear what he's saying, Big Nose. Don't you call my husband Big Nose. Well, he has got a Big Nose. Could you be quiet, please? What was that? I don't know. It's too busy talking to Big Nose. I think it was blessed are the cheesemakers. What's so special about the cheesemakers? Well, obviously, it's not meant to be taken literally. It refers to any manufacturers of dairy products. See, if you haven't been going on, we'd have heard that, Big Nose. Hey, say that once more, I'll smash your bloody face in. Oh. Better keep listening. Might be a bit about blessed order Big Noses. Oh, lay off him. And don't pick your nose. I wasn't going to pick my nose. I'm going to thump him. You hear that? Blessed order Greek. Be Greek. Mm. Well, apparently, he's going to inherit the earth. Did anyone catch his name? You're not going to thump anybody. I'll thump him if he calls me Big Nose again. Oh, shut up, Big Nose. Oh, what? I warned you. Oh, really, we'll slug you so hard. Oh, it's the meek. Blessed are the meek. Oh, that's nice, isn't it? I'm glad they're getting something because they have a hell of a time. Listen, I'm only telling the truth. You have got a very Big Nose. Hey, your nose going to be three foot wide across your face by the time I finish with you. Shh. Well, who it yours then? Glass, big brother. Oh, right. That's your last warning. Oh, do pipe down. So I've effectively ruined the Beatitudes for all of you today. <laughs> oh, my. I can't get that out of my head. So I'm a fan of British comedy. I don't know if you've picked up on that, but uh, how do you follow that up? How about with a prayer of confession and repentance, shall we? And uh, as we do this, I notice that our front is empty because uh, 30 of our youth are down in Jamaica doing ministry. So let's also remember him in our prayers all week. And you can follow along on um, Instagram and Facebook as I understand that they'll be doing some updating as time goes on. But let's pray. Father, we just thank you for this great, big, beautiful world that you've placed us in. Uh, we just take time to thank you for the things that are taking place in our lives, like healing and transformation and restoration. And we just thank you for those little victories as well that we come across. Mostly today, I want to say thank you for meeting us where we're at with this joyous, counterintuitive, exuberant announcement that you are with us, God. You are with us in our mistakes. You are with, with us in our brokenness and in our sins and failures and in our stumblings. And God, that we are blessed because of your grace. We thank you for Jesus who shows us what this looks like in flesh and blood. 
And as we work through these passages today and look for insight as to what this might mean for us today, we ask that you would meet us exactly where we're at and remind us that we are loved and valued and embraced by you, our loving Heavenly Father. And in the name of Jesus, we ask this. Amen. As we look at the Beatitudes, and uh, if you're our guest today, welcome. Um, We basically pick a book of the Bible for the most part and start walking through it. And we're walking through the book of Matthew, and we find ourselves here at Matthew chapter 5. And we're looking at the Beatitudes, and we see that there's actually an order or a progression or a flow to them as you begin to read them. They're not these random, out-of-order announcements of nice things that uh, you and I are supposed to do, because if they're, they're teachings about what we're supposed to do, then what Jesus has done now is given us a whole new list uh, of people who are to be blessed uh, because they got it right, and so they'll be in the kingdom of God, which basically means the rest of us are still on a far way out. So the Beatitudes are as follows. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. So there's a flow here. And if you look at it and if if you're new to what we've coming in, I just really want to encourage you to go back to our podcast and and listen and get updated to where we're at because it will fill in maybe some of the gaps uh, that you can't put together in today's life lesson. Um, If you look at it, though, the first four Beatitudes, the poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek, and the hungry, the thirsting, all refer to conditions. Poverty uh, in spirit is a condition. Meekness is a condition. These are all conditions of the human heart. The second four or five, depending on how you want to look at it, refers to how you interact with others. It's all about relationships, interesting enough. So... How you see, see people in terms of mercy, right? We talked about living in their skin last week. The purity of your heart, being a peacemaker and persecution. When you look at that, it all deals with relationships around us. So the first four are essentially this condition of lack, of abs- uh, absence, poverty of spirit, grief, etc. The second then deal with the relations that, we, we, that, that when God meets you here... You understand? God meets you here. It radically then affects the way you then relate to others there. God meets you here, but it affects the way that we relate to others there. And so today can either be an amen or an ouch message. That will be up to you. But there is this progression in the Beatitudes that we need to be aware of. Blessed are the poor in spirit. God meets us in our poverty, in our moral failure. Our, you know, I don't have it all together. He meets us when there's this temptation that we just keep falling for. God meets us there. He meets us in our depravity. He meets us in our want. Uh, He meets us in our abject failure when we just are miserable. And he says to us at that point, 
Blessed are the poor in spirit. This is where God meets. He meets us when we have absolutely nothing left to stand on. And then he says, blessed are those who mourn. Because God meets you where you are at when you have a lot to grieve. And, and mourning is it's more than just death, but when you grieve at what the situation of which life handles you, the situations you find yourself, the mistakes that you've made, the regrets we have, the heavy burdens we, we carry, it, he meets you there. And then it says, blessed are the meek. You know, those who just can't seem to get their slice of the, the pie, they're, they're caught up in their lostness, they're just losing out, they're just helpless. And he meets us there. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. That's the the thing that probably is the furthest from them. Yet they're craving, they're hungry, uh, they're thirsty for something more, something better. They're aching for the shalom peace of God. They're aching for justice. And because of their poorness in spirit and and whatever, they're ready to see how deeply um, uh, their craving is for God to step in. And they're aware, and he meets us there. And so what I hope you learned is that when God meets you in your brokenness, when God meets you in your sins, when God meets you in your failures, in your confusions, and you experience the grace of God at your lowest point, then it becomes very hard. Think about it. When you've experienced that, then it should become very hard for us to become judgmental of others who are at their lowest point. So this counterintuitive, joyous, exuberant announcement, blessed, is that in those places where we find ourselves, God meets us there. He redeems us, he forgives us, he saves us, and he announces, you are my child. So when God meets us or has met us in our righteous, right? We know God's here, things are good. Well, he also meets us in our wrongness. God meets us when we are in our light, but he also meets us when we are in our darkness, in our success, but he also meets us in our failure, in our compassion, and in our short-fusedness with people, in our eloquence, or in our inside voice, foot in the mouth, however you want to call it. God meets us there. And when God has met us in our good deeds and in our deeds that we don't want anybody else to know about, in our confusion, in our ambiguity, our anxiety, in our guilt, in our shame, when God meets us there, everything changes. That is the gospel. We live in this world that says, God doesn't meet me in this dark place. And yet we look at the scriptures and he says, I am with you there. God meets us in the place where we're most terrified that anybody will find out about us. Our darkest secrets. God comes to us and he says, I love you and I forgive you and I'll never leave you. I redeem you. And when we have that experience with God, with Jesus, We can no longer, and and in true honesty, we can no longer see the world in the same way. That's the transformation of the gospel. So the first four announcements deal with how God meets us. The next deal with how we meet others. 
The first four meets us in the places maybe that we least expect it. And, and when you get this, when you understand it, when you begin to put it on, then you can no longer relate to other people in the same way. This first, then this second. So when God meets you there, he has been merciful to you there. We understood that. Verse 7, blessed are the merciful. Of course, you're going to have more mercy for others in their poverty of spirit, in their mourning, in their meekness, in their hunger and thirst for, uh, for righteousness and justice. Why? Because you have been through it. He has met you there. Blessed are the pure in heart. Why? Because I will be less judgmental, less cynical, because God has met me there and he has profoundly changed the way I see everything because of that. And I begin to have a Jesus sort of love for all. So we can't necessarily be Christians and and encounter God and not care for those who are around us. Jesus continues, he says, blessed are the peacemakers for they'll be called children of God. Of course, I look at this, why is peacemakers connected with being called the sons of God or children of God? You know, is it a random saying? Was Jesus saying whatever first came into his mind again? Remember, these are not a to-do list. These are not an end of teaching. These are announcements that he is making. Was he just saying the first thing that was popping into his mind? Or is there a relationship between peacemaking and being a child of God? So, so when we're looking at this passage of scripture, we see that the Beatitudes is not about Jesus going around saying all these, you know, all those people who are morally upright and free from sin, listen, God is on your side. No, the Beatitudes are saying, uh, or have Jesus saying God's grace meets all sorts of pathetic sinners exactly where they are. And when this happens, you can no longer live in the same divisive world where, you know, we're the righteous ones and those guys over there are the really screwed up ones. Because what God has done is to meet you in your screwed upness so that there's nothing left to push away. See, in our society, we're so quick to draw lines, right? You know, it's us versus them. It's my side versus your side. It's the good guys versus the bad guys. And so we draw lines, don't we? Even in the church, we draw lines. 1 John 4 says this. And so we know and rely on the love of God, on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or a sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anybody who loves God must also love their brother and sister. I think sometimes we get confused and we think that the opposite of love is hate. If I'm looking at this passage of scripture, the opposite of love is not hate. Love has a different opposite. And what happens is that when we see the Beatitudes and the work of God in our lives and the grace that God expressed in Jesus, it does something very, very powerful. And John says here in verse 18 that there is no what? No fear. Thank you. I heard it. 
So the opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is fear. If you think about it, love is trust. And fear is what? It's the total lack of trust. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out all fear because fear has to do with punishment. It has to do, and the one who fears is not made perfect in love. And so what happens when we hear, blessed are you in your poverty, in your mourning, in your meekness, in your lack, in your zeroness, in your failure, in the fact that maybe you're being passed over, when God meets you there, when God meets you and I in those moments, it is there that love drives out our deepest fears. It is at that moment when we encounter God that there is nothing left to fear because he is on your side. Blessed are the peacemakers. What does that mean? Well, let me just say this off the hop, and this verse is not about those who are peaceful, nor is it about pacifism. Rather, it's about those who actively try to promote harmony and peace in the world. I'm not sure if you've seen the movie Hacksaw Ridge, but it's a story of Daniel T. Doss, or Desmond T. Doss. Um, true story, conscientious objector, Seventh-day Adventist, who was uh, enlisted in the army, found himself at the Battle of Okinawa, and won the Medal of Honor for his incredible bravery regarding his fellow soldiers. In the movie, you watch it, you see his upbringing, you see it, how it shaped his views, especially his religious view. He, he has an anti-killing stance. And in the movie, we see Doss's trials and tribulations as he enlists in the U.S. Army, and he's trying to become a medic, but the army itself is against them because of the stance that he is taking. And yet, he, it's, it's interesting. We see the, the hell on earth that was known as Hacksaw Ridge very graphically, and I, I, I find it interesting that Doss doesn't evade the army. He doesn't run away from there. Rather, he felt, actually, it was his duty to enlist, but he refused in that process to ever pick up a gun. And so we're forced to understand that making peace, listen to me carefully, is not a passive activity. And sometimes it requires confrontation when we would personally feel more peaceful if we just ignored the problem, right? Just ignore the problem, it'll go away, that's peace. No, no, if we walk the other way, did something else. But sometimes making peace requires taking a tough stand and not giving up. Making peace is a pursuit, it's, it's an action, it's not apathy. Blessed are the peacemakers. Not people who withdraw, people who move ahead. And so God is a God of peace. His whole plan of redemption is to provide peace with God for those who are formerly alienated from God. We see that in Scripture. Ultimately, to bring peace to the whole world. This, this is who he is. The Prince of Peace. This is the goal, the work of the Messiah. To bring peace. But in the human race, you know, there is strife. There is conflict. There's little hope for peace and unity. Just watch the news. But the peace that God brings is not a cessation uh, of uh, holidays, hostilities, tolerance, or the readiness to give way. The true peace that the world needs calls for a complete change of nature. And only God can actually give us this kind of peace. 
It's a peace that the world doesn't understand. It begins with reconciliation with God. Me and him, we got to have that peace. And then what does it do? It, it flows out from that point, and we have reconciliation with other people. And there are those who are peacemakers, and then there are, then first and foremost, people who understand what true peace is. And their effort is to strive and establish a peace that embraces God's provision of peace. Why? So that people will be in harmony with one another because they're at peace with God. In other words, the true peacemakers are those who promote the kingdom of God. Their lives are given to working for promoting the kingdom of God, for reconciling adversaries, for quenching hatred for uniting those who are divided, for promoting true standing and spiritual love. And they do this because they know what true peace is. And so the quality that is described here is one that is spiritual, not simply a political seeking of peace. It's a spiritual aspect. And so a citizen of the kingdom a child of God is a peace peddler, so to speak, representing Jesus, who is the Prince of Peace, representing the God of Peace. And, and the promise is that they shall be called the sons of God. Why? Because they act just like their daddy. The one who is the inventor of peace. In the Old Testament, that term sons of God is a description of angels. It's and rarely is such language actually used in the scriptures for salvation. But in the New Testament, this concept of sonship, adoption, is a powerful expression in, in, for salvation. It means that believers have been born into the family of God by the Holy Spirit. And that those designated, have, they have this personal relationship with the Father through Christ the Son. The scripture says we are joint heirs with Him. That they have a sense, a place in their heavenly home by birthright. That's where we're at. It's not truly happening in the full sense yet, but uh, it's certainly a promise that we as believers can say that we are called the children of God, and there's this hope for us. And so when we talk about peacemakers, there are three aspects of ministry of peacemaking mentioned in all of Scripture. First of all, the peace that we promote on earth is the, is the first peace is the peace with God. Romans 5.1 says, Since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with God through Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5, 8-20, God has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore what? God's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us be reconciled to God. We are this ambassador. We bring a message to the world that we live in. Our message to the world that we live in is that God is not your enemy. He loves everyone. He wants to have a relationship with everyone. And part of making peace is promoting harmony between men and God. Telling our story to those who don't believe. Telling our story to those who don't know. Telling our story, this message of peace and rec uh, reconciliation, to those who need to hear that God loves them, regardless of where they find themselves. The second part of peacemaking is to get along with people while we're here on this planet, to which I have in my notes, oh, wow. You don't know my life. <laughs> you don't know me. Get along with people. Why? Listen to what the Bible says about the desired relationship between the church and the people of the world. Okay? Between the church 
and the people of the world, outside the church. Hebrews 12 says, make every effort to live in peace with all men. 1 Thessalonians says, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, to work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders. So, as a church, we actually have this responsibility to be peacemakers to those around us. The third aspect of making peace and promoting harmony is within the church. Even in the healthiest church, there will be conflicts and clashes. I didn't know if you knew that, but I thought I'd just let you know. Um, And a peacemaker is one who works for reconciliation and harmony between brothers and sisters in the fellowship. 1 Peter 3 says, All of you, live in harmony with one another. Don't repay insult with insult, but with blessing. Seek peace and pursue it. Romans 14, Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. Romans 12, live in harmony with one another. If it is possible, as far as it depends on who? On you, on me. If it's possible, as far as it depends on me, live at peace with everyone. Oh. Colossians 5, 15, 315, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart since as members of one body, what? We were called to peace. So are you a peace promoter? Do your words and your actions bring people into a harmony with God? Do they bring them into harmony with you and with each other? Or do you take sides? Because we live in a culture of division, do we not? Where we are called to be peacemakers. But Jerry, 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 listen. There's the good side versus and the bad side. You know, the good side's over here. The bad side's over here. You know, there's the right and then there's the left. There's the Trump supporters and then there's the Hillary supporters, right? There's the liberals and there's the conservatives. There's the Baptists and the Pentecostals. Mennonites are always in the middle, right? And then there's the straight and then there's the gay. We take sides. There's this group of Christians here. There's this group of Christians here. And what the world endlessly does is hands us two options either one or the other you need to choose and because it's so easy for us in our cultures to simply take sides we do right we take sides but something profound needs to happen when the gospel takes root in our lives, because all of a sudden, then when we're looking, the world is not so clean and simple. And those sides cannot be so definitive. Matthew 5, 43, we read that Jesus calls us to a radically loving, a radical peacemaking. And he says, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Mm, I don't like where this is going. You see, you've heard it said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy, which means what? Pick a side. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Notice how this keeps coming up and coming up, and he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And Jesus says we're to pray for our enemies. Do you know what that means? Do you know what it means to pray for your enemies? It actually means for you to draw close to them. For you to pray for someone is to wish God's best on them. I do not like that. Gosh, this preaching this sermon's killing me. 
If somebody is against you, Jesus says, move towards them in love and pray God's best on them. No! They're my enemy. I want to pray the worst on them so I win. Jesus says it doesn't work that way. We're to pray for our enemies so that we may be what? Children of our Father in heaven. And then he goes on, he says, you know, God causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rains on the righteous and the unrighteous. And so Jesus is using an agricultural illustration here because all of his listeners understand what he's saying. Plants, agriculture, need sun and rain to grow, obviously, right? So God sends both the sun, which is a good thing, and rain, which is another good thing, right? Blessings, God sends blessings. You got me? You're tracking with me? Hopefully you are. On the righteous and the unrighteous. God is an ocean of compassion and he sends his love. And God sends good things like sun and rain to everybody, regardless where they find themselves on the good or bad or righteous or evil spectrum. Why? Because God is like that. So instead of us forcing people to make a decision, especially on Facebook, I will defriend you. Click here if you support. Instead of forcing to make people to make a decision, you know, are you on my team or are you not? And what do we do? We cause more division. When we are open, we've been met by God. You have been met in all your murky humanity, right? And you've been blessed there then you can no longer go around and try to shove others into their proper boxes and categories and taking sides because you are gradually beginning to see how God sees them. And God causes the sun to shine on both ends of the spectrum. He causes the rain to fall on both ends of the spectrum. And when you start to embrace and move towards both ends of the spectrum, then you will become like a child of God. You become that peacemaker. In Joshua chapter 5, it's an interesting story. They're about to go take down Jericho. When Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up, he saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and says, are you for us or are you for our enemies? This is us, is it not? <laughs> a us or against us? Let's keep reading. Neither, he replied. But as a commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, so what message does the Lord have for his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said, take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Whose side are you on? The angel of the Lord says what? Neither. And because of that, the ground you stand on is holy, so take off your sandals and have now a bigger perspective on some things here. 
It's not, are you with us or with them? It's more like, Joshua, just want you to understand before you're going into battle, those are my kids too. So as a child of God, am I loving the, of the people who are having fingers pointed at them? And am I also loving the people who are doing the pointing? Am I starting to love those who are being slandered and persecuted? And am I also starting to love those who are doing the slandering and persecuting? Am I starting to have a love that causes rain to fall on the righteous and unrighteous? And the rain to fall on the good and evil? You see that when that begins to happen, then blessed are the peacemakers. You cannot continue to cause more division. We need to be able to bring people together. That's what happens. And when we want to start to bring people together, when, when our world in its divisive state of, hey, are you on this side or that side? When you step in and you step up and you're peacemaking, what happens when you begin to try to peacemake, it actually may, listen very carefully, cause conflict. Because some folks aren't ready for it. Because that peacemaking means that their worldview is going to crumble. And when you look for more options, it's going to cause conflict. And that's why Jesus wraps it up with blessed are the persecuted. Because that's where it often leads. Jesus comes in as the Prince of Peace, but yet he does a lot of things of setting, uh, a lot of things in his settings, as we will read, that causes division, especially with the religious community. And eventually what has happened to Jesus is that he is persecuted and killed. And so as Jesus taught his followers, he tried to change their way of thinking to get them to think from God's perspective instead of a limited human perspective. And so then he announces, blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of justice, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Again, we have a paradox taking place here because the citizens of the kingdom are called to produce, uh, pursue peace with the citizens of the world. But Jesus says that their peaceful overtones will generally be answered with hatred and violence. We don't get that. In this world, when people try to promote peace or champion righteousness or live a life of gentleness or meekness, they, they find opposition. You know, one would think that such a life would attract people to the kingdom of God, but in fact, it does not naturally do that. It tells us clearly that the human race is alienated from God. The human race is in rebellion to God. I seem to remember somebody telling me that doing the right thing has its own reward. You ever hear that? Doing the right thing has its own reward. But sometimes doing the right thing brings you trouble. And I think that's the message behind this beatitude. Have you ever been mistreated because you've done the right thing at home, at work, with your neighbors? You did the right thing, but you were mistreated. Well, then congratulations. You just experienced another one of the quality of the characteristics of life in the kingdom. You know, however you promote harmony in your relationship with those outside of the kingdom, it doesn't matter. You are destined to experience their hatred, their abuse, and perhaps their violence.
You know, when we read the word persecution in the Bible, we usually think of people who have been tortured and executed because of their faith. When I was growing up, I, I read the stories of Richard Wormbrand, who was a pastor behind the Iron Curtain at the time. He was in prison. He was in tortured for his faith. I was fascinated with stuff like that. Jim Elliott, the missionary to South America, who was killed by the local Aka Indians. I remember in seminary, I picked up Fox's book, Martyrs, I Couldn't Put It Down, which tells of people down throughout history have been killed because they would not renounce their faith in Jesus, and it recorded it in graphic detail. You know, we don't experience that kind of persecution here in Canada. But there are many countries in our world today where followers of Jesus are still murdered because they're Christian. Just go to um, Voice of the Martyrs. Go anywhere you need to. Many parts of the world are completely antagonistic towards Christianity. The Bible says that this is what we should expect. Why don't we experience it in Canada? I, I, I personally don't really understand. I think we would do well to expect it, though, in our lifetime, if I can be really honest with you. Now, I can't tell from here, but was there a video just playing right? Can we get that video up, please? Is the top ten nations in our world that persecute Christians. Like I said, I think that we would do well to expect this in our lifetime. That there will be some sort of persecution in our country. But I think in the meantime, it's important to understand that though the word used here for persecute, it does include torture, it does include murder, it does include what's going on in these top ten countries. However, that word in scripture is not limited to the most extreme forms of persecution. Dioko means to pursue, to chase after something or someone. In this context, it's pursuing someone to hunt them, to mistreat them, to hassle them. And again, while persecution can be torture, it could also can be teasing someone, discriminating against someone, refusing to tolerate them. In the Greek, it was used in the legal profession as a technical term, which meant to accuse uh, someone. And so, you know, we translate this, and, and again, it's to treat someone in a cruel, unfair way. And, and some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You've been there, and even in our country. The Beatitude says that if you are mistreated because you did the right thing, then you're to be congratulated. Your mistreatment is evidence of your citizenship in the kingdom of God. 
Second Timothy says everybody who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Isn't that interesting? Again, First Peter, if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. It is better if God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Acts 17 tells a story about Paul's trip to the Greek city of Thessalonica. He's only there for three weeks, but during that time, several people trusted Jesus. They formed a church and, and went from there. At the end of his three weeks, the citizens of Thessalonica, they, they opposed the Christianity. They start this riot. They arrest some of the new believers, and they accuse them of treason and Caesar. Uh, 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 accuse them of treason towards Caesar, and, and they're released after posting bond. And so what happens is a few months later, Paul writes a letter to this newly formed church. And we, we see, we sent Timothy to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. You know quite well that we were destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know, for doing the right thing. And so experiencing persecution for doing the right thing is normal, as a normal part, listen to me, as a normal part of being a follower of Jesus. The beatitude is not simply for all who have suffered persecution. God, as the righteous judge of the earth, will deal with that as well. That's his business. But this beatitude is for the followers of Christ who suffer persecution for righteousness' sake, for doing the right thing. The blessing stated here, for those who suffer that kind of persecution in this world, it's their destiny that there will be a complete contrast to their present humiliation. In other words, theirs is the kingdom. Do the right thing. Stand up for God. Do what God is telling you. Theirs is the kingdom when people come against you. And that's what the disciples knew. That for them was something we're dying for and history tells us that. And so the lesson for us today would simply be that people should be living for Christ in this world. Living the way members of the kingdom should live. Championing righteousness and justice, showing mercy, getting into people's skin, remaining meek and, and poor in spirit, all the things that the Beatitudes praise. But that they should know that the genuine righteousness, genuine righteousness is offensive to many. And so if we are prepared to walk in that way as Christians, then we need to be prepared for opposition. Matthew, Jesus says, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. See? There's a difference between verse 10 and verse 11. For one thing, the, the mistreatment has broadened. Verse, verse 10 mentions persecution. Verse 11 has a whole menu of mistreatment, right? The insults. Persecution, slander. What's slander? Spreading lies about someone that damages their reputation. And we have added to persecution two forms of verbal attack. The, you know, the insult, the idea of saying something that's damaging directly to somebody. You ever been in those situations? And slander is this idea of the untrue. Smears you about somebody else. You're, you're gossiping about somebody else. And you're slandering their name. Verse 10 is, is a mistreatment because of doing the right thing. But verse 11, the mistreatment is because of Jesus. So in the same way that a follower of Jesus will imitate Jesus by promoting peace, a citizen of God's kingdom will also imitate Jesus by promoting peace in another way. I think that, you know, the, our Western culture, we, we have shied away from Jesus' teachings. You know, 
just as he was mistreated, he warns us. He says, we're going to be mistreated. Just uh, read John 15. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If they persecute me, they will persecute you also. They will treat you this way because of my name. But we need to be reminded that suffering, mistreatment because of Jesus is an honor. And if you are insulted because of the name of Jesus Christ, you are blessed, according to Peter. And we live a world that's becoming increasingly intolerant of anybody who believes in absolute truth. And I do. And I will dare to advocate a moral position. And when that behavior is slandered, you are being persecuted for following Jesus. But some of you know some of the problems that we have with this whole thing is that sometimes Christians are criticized as backward, stupid, gullible, naive, prudish, judgmental, insensitive, cruel. Because they are! Peter goes into the same passage. He says that not all suffering is normal. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or another kind of criminal or even as a meddler. Interesting word there. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear the name. Sometimes we suffer because we bring it on ourselves. It makes me cringe when I hear Christian leaders in government or a publicly known church leader open their mouths and say backward, stupid, gullible, naive, prudish, judgmental, insensitive, and cruel things about other people. And see, that kind of behavior justly brings the ridicule of the world, and that is not being persecuted because of doing the right thing or because of having a relationship with Jesus. Peter says, again, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reasons for what? The hope you have. How do you do it? With gentleness and with respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. And so in spite of our efforts to pursue the path of peace, our faith will inevitably bring reaction. It, our faith will bring persecution. Think about it, people. Our faith will bring conflict. The disciples were foretold by Jesus that this would be the result. In his ministry, he says, Do not think that I come to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Well, hang on. This is Matthew chapter 10. We're going to have to get into this. What is he? I came to set a man against his father, a daughter against his mother, a daughter-in-law against mother. We're going to have to, what, what, Jesus, what are you talking about? You're just saying, blessed are the peacemakers. And now you're saying, you know, you've come to bring division. The proclamation of the gospel combined with a life that is lived in accordance with the word of God. In other words, we need to know the scripture. When we can share our faith, when we know the scripture, it confronts people with a choice. And they'll either joyfully accept it or they'll vehemently reject it. And I'll just say this. The world is threatened by the Christian lifestyle. Well, why? Why? Well, because it convicts people of sin and it condemns their way of life. We hear that in our conversations with individuals. A natural response to a threat then, when that threat surfaces, is to retaliate. And that becomes the source of our persecution. The Christian lifestyle is by its very nature a distinctive one. 
And anybody who attempts to live according to the Sermon on the Mount will be able to do so only under the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, providing that the insults, the persecution, the slander are really because of Christ and not because we deserve it. This kind of mistreatment then actually deserves celebration. Jesus goes on and says, rejoice and be glad. This is where we end up. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. In the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus ends it with rejoice and be glad. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Rejoice and be glad. Rejoice when it gets tough, people. Rejoice. This is what Jesus is saying. Rejoice and be glad. People are out to get you. Rejoice. Rejoice. Oh, my goodness. You have no clue how hard it is for me to preach this message. That word for rejoice, Cairo. Be glad. Joyful. So what Jesus is saying is... When it gets really hard, when it gets really difficult, when he basically is saying, look, your life is a gift. And, and the word be glad in the Greek is uh, agalanio, and it means exceedingly or, or, or jump for joy or leap. So when life gets really hard, <laughs> when life gets really hard, When life gets hard, because you're being persecuted, because people are slandering you, what do we do? We tend to, we go back into our corner, we go into our fetal position, we go into our, but when life gets hard, when things get tough, when people are saying things against you, when, when people are getting on top of you, why? Because of Christ, what are you supposed to do? Rejoice and be glad. You're kidding me. Everybody's against you when you're all alone, when your own failure to get it right is nipping at your heels, when you've tried to do the right thing and it's somehow misunderstood and now you are being persecuted in those moments. Rejoice exceedingly. Be happy. Jump. Jump for joy. Be happy. That's what he's saying. Why? Because you're not alone. Because Jesus meets us exactly where we're at. And he says, if you start out to follow me and you get yourself into all sorts of hot water, just rejoice and be glad because they did this to the prophets and you're not alone. People, listen, you are not alone. That's the message of the gospel. It doesn't matter if we're in the darkest place or if we're in the end of a persecution stick. We're not alone. Thank you. And what do we do? Rejoice and be glad. Jesus is honest about what happens when you try to follow him in the world. I love this. He is honest about despair. He is honest about persecution. He is honest about wanting to give up. He is honest about poverty in spirit. And his conclusion at the end is when you have met me and I have met you in your lowest, most awful, darkest place and you just want to give up, I will be there with you. I will be there with you the whole way. And in the end, when it's at its worst, I'm going to give you a couple simple words. So remember, rejoice and be glad. Because great is your reward. Now, up to this point, Jesus has not given any command. Right? He's given announcements. So, people, class, what's the first commandment on the Sermon of the Mount? Because up, up to this point, everything's been announcements. 
There hasn't been a law. There hasn't been a ladder of things that we're supposed to do. It has been nothing but gracious announcement. And all of a sudden, Jesus gives a command. Here's something that you have to do, he says. What is it? Rejoice and jump around. Jump around. Woot, woot, jump around. Jump around. That's what he's saying. Rejoice. That's the command of the Beatitudes. Isn't that amazing? No wonder Christians are crazy. If I can have the band come up. And that, my friends, that's the good news. Stand with me, will you? Oh, turn around and tell somebody to rejoice and be glad. Make them smile. Hug them, kiss them, touch them awkwardly. I don't care what you do. <laughs> My morning started with an awkward hug from Greg Tom. I'll tell you, it's just... He literally said to me, there's no emotion in it. Well, if you do my style of influence profile, you understand I'm very little on the emotion level. <sighs> Rejoice and be glad. When people are slandering you because of Christ, not because of anything else, because of Jesus, because of your stance, because you are doing the right thing. Rejoice and be glad. And remember, maybe you're here and you go, dude, I'm not rejoicing because I'm in poorest spirit. I'm just in the dark place. I'm, I'm immersed in my sin. I just, I can't even pick my head up and look towards heaven. Dude, rejoice because God is with you in that moment. This is the gospel. This is the message of Jesus. Next week, we're talking about salt and light. That's always fun. God, please meet us. I think of my brother or my sister here today who needs a spontaneous, inexplicable, irrational experience of joy. Why are we so afraid to show that? God, I think of those here today who have gotten hard. It's, it's gotten hard to do the right thing. It's, it's hard in our lives when we're misunderstood. It's sometimes, God, it's hard to even follow you and we desperately need you to meet us in this place. And so, God, meet us in this place with your joy, with gladness, with the ancient mysterious love and grace and joy that is strictly yours. I pray for those of us who are in profoundly difficult relational situations where there is conflict and division and there are sides and there's name calling and it's ugly and somehow in the midst of that we find ourselves in the middle of that situation maybe or one side or the other and we feel compelled to spread the grace of the gospel. Give us wisdom and discernment that all of us here today would be your peacemakers and not take part of those old debates and not take sides, but rather find a way to transcend those things with your kind of love. And God, please meet us in our questions and in our doubt that, that we may have, or if there is, maybe some today are just questioning if there's any point in following you. God, meet them where they're at. Reveal yourself to them. May they just experience a lift in their step. 
that you are with them as they leave this place this morning. God, my prayer for this church is that we'd be the kind of people who love trusting you and who follow you as your disciples. In the name of the resurrected Jesus, everybody, I really want to say leaped really high. But I think the word is said, amen. In ancient time, the one who blessed extended his hands for the blessing, the one receiving the blessing did likewise. Oh, so don't worry, be happy. Walk out with a, a leap and let the peace of Christ rule in your heart since as members of one body you were called to peace. Be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. As you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitudes in your, gratitude in your heart to God, and whatever you do, soul sanctuary, whether in word or in deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So now, go and be a peacemaker. Be blessed. And we'll see you next week. Bring your salt and pepper.